This afternoon we'll be considering Baptist Catechism questions 84 through 86. Uh, these are the last uh, three catechism questions covering the Ten Commandments, which is the summary of God's moral law. Uh, that went fast for me. Did it go fast for you to make it through all of these questions and answers having to do with the Ten Commandments? Question 84 asks, which is the Tenth Commandment? Answer, the Tenth Commandment is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Question 85, what is required in the Tenth Commandment? The Tenth Commandment requireth full contentment with our own condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit towards our neighbor and all that is his. Isn't that beautiful? I think it is a beautiful answer to the question, what does the Tenth Commandment require? And then question 86, what is forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? Answer, the Tenth Commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor and all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. We will read now from Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 18. God's word says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What a wonderful passage here in Leviticus 19, 9 through 18. I think this passage helps us to see quite clearly that these Ten Commandments, each and every one of them, are all interrelated. They're meant to be teased out. The implications are meant to be discovered. And of course, the whole second table of the law is summarized with these words, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'd like to begin this afternoon by making some general observations about the Tenth Commandment in relation to the other nine. For the Tenth Commandment, which is thou shalt not covet, is somewhat unique when compared to uh, the other nine. For one, this commandment is to be kept holy in the heart and in the mind, but it is only something that can be kept in the heart and in the mind. The other commandments are to be kept in the heart and the mind too, but they may also be broken and kept with words and with actions. But covetousness, and perhaps this is the simpler way to say it, covetousness is a sin of the heart only. 
It is an invisible sin. There is no way to covet with one's lips or to covet in action. Now, covetousness in the heart will inevitably produce sinful words and sinful deeds, but those sinful words and deeds will be something other than covetousness. In fact, the one who is wise will see that violations of the other nine commandments do often, if not always, spring up from a covetous heart. Some connections are obvious. Men and women often steal because they are discontent in the heart. They are coveting what others have, and so they, and so they steal. Men and women will lie for the same reason. Uh, they are discontent somehow, and so they will lie to try to gain an advantage over someone else or to obtain something that they do not presently have. Um, adultery also proceeds from the sin of covetousness. In fact, covetousness in the heart will also drive violations of the first table of the law, which has to do with the proper worship of God. I want you to think of Adam's sin of eating the forbidden fruit. That sin was really about worship, wasn't it? Adam was to have God as God, but instead Adam listened to the voice of, the, uh, of another. And, and why did he do it? Why, why did he violate the first commandment which was written on, on, on his heart? I, I guess this is a, a bit speculative, but, but, but not entirely. Uh, why did he do it except that he... Listen to the words of the serpent who convinced him that there was more to be had, that God was holding out on him somehow. And so there was this covetousness within his heart. He wanted to have something that he did not presently have. He thought there was more. He wanted to lay a hold of something that God alone possesses. And so he rebelled against his maker and listened to the voice of the serpent instead. In a sense, it was covetousness that drove Adam to rebel against his maker and to worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. So then, though it is true that covetousness is a sin of the heart, that does not mean that it is any less serious than the other sins. In fact, an argument can be made that it is in some respects more serious, for it does produce all other violations of God's law. If we are not careful, careful to keep our heart before God and before man, if we are not careful to tend to the garden of our soul, as it were, uh, then all manner of evil will spring forth from it, you see. The garden of our soul will, will spring forth with all kinds of weeds that are deadly uh, to us and are filled with evil. I, I would urge you to reflect carefully upon this. And if you do think, um, and if, and if you... Uh, and if you do, I think you will agree that covetousness or discontentment in the heart is very serious. It is like a polluted spring that bubbles up, producing many vile and unpleasant things. Uh, James speaks to this in James 4, where he asks, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Do you hear what James does there? He says that you know, all of these quarrelings, all of these murders, all of these wars that are present within the world, where do they come from? They all, they all issue forth from a covetous heart. 
it starts there. It starts there, and so we must deal with our sin at the root. Um, that is what James is here teaching. Let me be very specific. How many times have you been cranky and short-tempered with others because things aren't going the way that you want them to go? Things are this way, but you want them to be that way, and from that discontent heart all manner of evil flows. We could talk about this being the the, the root and source of of all of the wars throughout human history. We can think big picture. We can think about how this sin affects others, but it becomes very practical for us, doesn't it? Uh, when When we are nasty to other people, so often it's simply because we are discontent within. We are not happy with the way things are going that day or, or our particular situation in life. And so we have to be very careful, brothers and sisters. We need to think about the little conflicts that we have and recognize that they flow from a heart of discontentment. And then we can think bigger beyond the disappointing day. We can consider the course of one's life. We can imagine the evil and destruction that will flow from a heart that is discontent with the whole of life. The point is this. I am urging you, brothers and sisters, to not mess around with covetousness. Stated positively, I am urging you to pursue contentment in life, for godliness with contentment is great gain, says Paul in 1 Timothy 6.6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So many good things flow from a content heart, a heart that is content before the Lord and before others. And what is the remedy to discontentment? Uh, The remedy is love. Love for God and love for your fellow man. Love for God and assurance of His love for us will help to guard our hearts against discontentment regarding His will for us. The writer of Ecclesiastes speaks to this when he says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and, and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, For this is his lot, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Uh, The book of Ecclesiastes is very interesting. It can be kind of difficult to interpret at some points, but I think it is clear what uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes is here saying. It is important for us to live life like this, to to be about our work, to, to toil with the work that God has given us to do, to eat and to drink and to enjoy these things as gifts from God's hand, to be content before God and all of these simple and basic things. It, it's a great gift. We are to be occupied with this joy in our heart as we um, find happiness, enjoyment, and contentment in the things that God has given to us specifically. So I might ask, are you content with your lot in life, brothers and sisters? Are you content with God's will for you? If the answer is no, then I must exhort you to pursue contentment. If the answer is yes, then I say thanks be to God for His mercy and grace shown to you. I want you to think of it. It was God's, it was God's will for you to be born at a particular time, in a particular place, to particular parents. It was God's will that you were born a certain gender, And with a certain color of skin, not to mention many other physical features that are unique to you. And it was God's will for you to have particular gifts, resources, and even experiences. And so I am asking you, are you content with all of these? Are you grateful to God? Or has your heart been overrun with discontentment before Him? 
To love God is to be grateful towards Him. And this is why I have said that love for God is a remedy to covetousness. But some will respond by saying, but what about the hardships that I have endured? What about the suffering? And the scriptures do often speak to this, don't they? They command the child of God to rejoice even in the trials and tribulations of life, knowing that God works through them for good. I am not claiming that this is always easy. I do not wish to address this subject in a very careless and flippant manner. This requires faith. This requires a perspective that must be maintained. To be content, we must love God, and we must also be assured of His love for us, even in the midst of great difficulties. And so I am urging you yet again, brothers and sisters, to pursue contentment. It is great gain, but sometimes it is hard to get and to maintain. It is especially hard to get and to maintain during times of suffering. By no means am I denying that. But nevertheless, we must pursue contentment in Christ Jesus. It seems to me that covetousness and discontentment is running rampant in our society. Men and women are discontent with just about everything, it seems. And this all begins with their hostility towards God. They have no love for God, and they are thoroughly dissatisfied with God's will for them, and so they war against it continuously by seeking to be gods themselves. They decide for themselves what is right and wrong. They even seek to overrule who it is that God has made them to be. And such were some of you, but you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb and renewed by the Holy Spirit. Of all people, we Christians should be content before God. Love for God is a remedy against discontentment, and so too is love for our fellow man. Instead of coveting what others have, if we love them, we will rejoice with them concerning their prosperity. Are you poor? Then do not look at your rich brother and covet his wealth and complain against God that you do not have what he has. Rather, be grateful to God and rejoice in your brother's prosperity with love in your heart for him. And the very same thing may be said regarding sickness in relation to health, the single in relation to the married, the childless in relation to those with children, etc., etc. These are difficult issues to work through, brethren. I, I'm not denying that. But we must work through them with love in our hearts. That is to say, love for God first and foremost, and love for our neighbor as well. Perhaps you notice that um, that, that is how the Leviticus 19, 9-18 passage that I read earlier concluded. That passage commanded all kinds of things in regard to our relationship with our neighbor. We are to care for the poor and the sojourner. We must not steal. We must not deal falsely. We must not lie to one another. Neither shall we oppress or withhold from our neighbor, etc. In that passage, sins of the heart are also forbidden, hatred and grudge-bearing. But all of this is summed up with this command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then these words, I am the Lord. Because I am the Lord, then you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the remedy to covetousness, brothers and sisters. Love your neighbor as yourself, but love God above all. And that is the key. We need to find our satisfaction in Him and to be content with His will for us. For God is good, and He is good all the time. We say that, don't we? I hope we mean it, you know. <laughs> we say it often when things go well. God is good, you know. God is good, 
Yes, He is good when things go the way that we want them to do. And do you want to know something? He is still good even when things do not go the way we want them to go. God is good and He is good all the time. It is His nature. He is good and He desires good things for His children even if they seem to be difficult or are difficult in the moment. May the Lord help us with these things. May He give us the precious gift of contentment. Let's bow together for prayer and then we will go to corporate prayer. Father in heaven, I do ask that you would help us to guard our hearts and to tend to the garden of our souls. Father, it is good for us to not sin in word and in deed. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep your law from the heart. And so I pray that you would set our hearts at peace, O Lord. I pray that you would bring us to this place of contentment where we are able to be satisfied because we have you, because you are our God and we are your children. Uh, May we have this peace and satisfaction within because we trust you. We know that you will preserve us. We know that you will provide for us. We know that you will bring us safely into our eternal inheritance, uh, not because we have earned it, but because of Christ. May we live with this kind of faith. Oh Lord, I pray that you would help us to be content in times of plenty I pray that you would help us also to be content in times of want. Lord, strengthen us, we pray, for the glory of your name. And all of God's people say, Amen.